0: Live from Spain, this is The Drive Home with Harry Waters.
1: Hello there, good evening, and welcome everybody. This is The Drive Home. I am coming live from Spain, and today we do have a fantastic episode in store for you. Um, I've got two wonderful guests uh, from across the pond, as it were. Um, I can see one of them has arrived. Um, I'm going to invite her across as a speaker. Oh, and I believe the other one has arrived too. Amazing. Look at that. Like clockwork. That's what happens when you hire professionals. Um, So we have these two wonderful professionals here with us. Um, One of us is coming all the way, as I say, from Argentina. And one of them is coming, well, from Argentina, but she's here with me in Spain. Well, not with me. She's in Spain, well, so, ladies, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Romina, would you like to start by telling us something about yourself, and then then we'll give the floor to Annie.
2: Okay. So, can you hear me properly? Loud and clear. Okay, well, thank you, Harry, for inviting me to this show. It's the first time I'm speaking in a radio show. So, um, well, um, as to your question, I am based in Buenos Aires. I lived in in Argentina, uh, in in the city of Buenos Aires, in a a neighborhood that is called Belgrano. And uh, I've been teaching English for almost more than 20-something years now and i've also lived in england uh, for a couple of years between 1992 and 1993 and i Uh had the chance of teaching some spanish to uh, some students i had uh, over there and uh, well i I got my degree as a teacher of english uh, from a very prestigious institution here in my country uh, it's called Dr. Joaquin de Gonzalez. That's the name of the place where I studied and graduated from. And then uh, as I was very curious and into why is it that some students had some difficulties learning, I realized that uh, I could I, I, and I was very interested in joining and I did a diploma in child neuropsychology for the learning disabilities. And, well, I've been teaching uh, everywhere, I would say, schools, uh, private institutes, companies, of course, I mean, teaching English uh, in those sectors of education. And, and, well, and, and right now I am finishing my postgraduate degrees in English Literature and Film Studies. And, well, I've been running my own school for the past 16 years now. And I just uh, recently, 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 because it's been less than 10 days ago, uh, joined the British Council as a remote teacher. So, well, basically, that's a little bit of who I am.
1: (laughs) Wow, that's um, absolutely exceptional. Um, It makes me feel very, very small right now. So I'm going to hand over to Annie to make myself feel a little bit worse again um annie would you like to tell us something about yourself
3: hi hello can you hear me
1: loud and clear
3: good great uh so harry thank you for inviting me here and it's lovely to see romina and well to see to hear um uh well i i as you said i am from argentina too uh i studied uh english there with uh, uh, in uh, what we call in argentina a cultura, a cultura inglesa. Uh, those are um, private uh, institutes, pri- private institutes that have a close relationship with the British Council. And um, I learned my English with them. And then I did my teacher training college in Blanca. I am originally from a city <clears throat> in the south of the province of Buenos Aires called Punta Alta. And I studied in Vallablanca at Instituto Superior Juan 23 um I did my teacher training there for four years and then six months of internship and uh, and then I started teaching. I I've been teaching for as long as I can remember. I think that dinosaurs roamed the planet by that <laughs> when I started <laughs> and uh, and then I... Uh, I did my M.A. in ELT and Applied Linguistics with the University of London. Uh, In those days, uh, that was at the beginning of 2000, Uh, the Asociación Argentina de Cultura Inglesa, based in Buenos Aires, had an agreement with the British Council and what was then Thames Valley University. And they set up a program for teachers uh, overseas, And uh, we did um, our modules partly uh, distance and partly face-to-face. And uh, then after two years of study, uh, I I had my MA. And, well, I've I've been teaching children, adolescents, adults. I am a Cambridge examiner, and I've been giving uh, presentations for Cambridge assessment here in Spain, I moved here in 2003, and uh, in the meantime, I started writing. I started a career as an author, uh, by accident, (laughs) really. (laughs) Uh, And I've been writing since mm, 1999, probably. Um, And and, well, now, most of my time now is devoted to teacher training, which is my passion, uh, writing, and uh, and well, I'm, I usually give talks uh, wherever they want me to. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I know live, that feeling. I, I live in Salamanca, and I live in Salamanca here in, in Spain.
1: I know that feeling of I give talks wherever they want me to, like you know, wherever <laughs> they'll have me. I'll, I'll talk. Yeah, that's
3: right. That's right.
1: <laughs> I, I I know that. Um, Romina's also uh has done some training sessions um yes. in the several development hub and. In fact, it's where where you and I met, as it were. Um, We were speaking just before we came on that this is the first time that we've really spoken. But I think since March, I maybe know as much about you as I do about my own mum, to be honest. Because, you know, (laughs) I'm so into what you guys are up to on social media and seeing what you're doing. Um, And I don't speak to my mum that often. (laughs) <laughs> I speak to you guys all the time like i'm not yeah. sure if that's bad on my behalf or if that's i don't know um, but it, it's just it's so good to to have you on and, and to to see you here and to have the chance to to speak to you and get to know you uh, a little bit better um, so yeah it's uh it is wonderful to have you here and and what I love about you know that with the the presentations you just gave there the little the, the talks that you just gave us and telling us about where. Where it began and and where it is now it's just so nice to hear about all of this kind of passion that you've had for so long for for English and for teaching mm-hmm. um it's mm-hmm. something that obviously runs like in your blood basically it's something that you know you can see that you love the language because you continue to learn about the language even yes. now um, and you know mm-hmm. if you're an author, you must be continuing to learn about yes, stuff because abso-
3: mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, if you could have a look at my uh, office here uh, at home, uh, I mean, I have shelves and shelves of books that I, I've been, uh, I, I have read, I've been reading, I've bought, and I still have the to read list, which is yeah. getting increasingly bigger. <laughs> Every time the bell rings, my husband says, Another book.
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes, I've I've been buying many books online lately. Yeah. And yeah. I've been reading a lot and it's the same as Annie. I have lots of books to read that I want some of them to read for pleasure, some other books because I need yeah. them. Yeah, to when I do and deliver my talks and, and it's good to do this research. And as we were Speaking, I remember we were speaking, uh, Harry, when we just before we came in the show about the way we met and about this. I mean, the the sort of the good side of this pandemic that has brought us closer with people that Mm. we probably wouldn't have been in touch with if it hadn't been for these and these. You know, needs to okay to adapt our classes and our courses to this remote reality. And uh, and yeah, and, and it was fantastic to see you because I, in my case, well, I had met Annie here in Buenos Aires when she came to give one of her marvelous talks, and then I met her again and over and over again in her talks. <laughs> but Harry, in the case of you, it has always been online that I that yes. I saw mm. you, that I met you, and I, and I remember and I have to say thanks also to um, Simon Perlmann and Teresa. Uh, best week, best from, week. The, from the, yes. yeah, from the development hub, because they open up this space in which we uh, educators from around mm. the world we could gather. And I remember when I saw Harry <laughs> on the screen, I said, "I've I've known this man <laughs> from somewhere. <laughs> uh, uh, where is it that I met him before?" Uh, and it was yeah, uh, um, in one of your marvelous talks that you developed for students uh, in the in the projects. Um, with, the, with Pearson and the BBC.
1: Uh, the, the live classes, which actually mm-hmm. are coming back for the the next series very soon. Anyone okay. who's excited about that, they're coming back in uh, on the, my next class I think is the 18th of October. Um, so yeah, stay yeah. tuned for, for more of that. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, you mentioned giving these talks and, and you also mentioned the, the pandemic. Now, I recently did a poll on on LinkedIn about um conferences now if you'd asked me two years ago what do you prefer an online conference or a face-to-face conference I would have laughed in your face I would have said that's a stupid question of -hmm. course I prefer a face-to-face conference where else do I get my free food from um (laughs) you know how else do I get to go and see these wonderful speakers how else you know I I would have almost I would have laughed at you basically. And until now I did do one online conference before um T Cell Spain, but that for me, where I actually met Annie um back yeah. in March, was probably one of the biggest turning points in my professional career. Um it was around the time that I was um beginning to go freelance and renewable English was kind of picking up and becoming more popular. Um, but it was that moment where I realised the kind of the potential for for online conferences and for online training sessions. Now it was incredible, you know, the amount of connections I made from it. Annie being one of them.
4: Yeah.
1: Um, there's a a, a, lad, a a guy Kevin in Scotland who I do volunteer classes with. Um, so many people I connected with. Two of my other guests who have been on here. So from. Miquela from, uh, from a couple of weeks ago, also from Argentina, and uh, Milica as well, who was my second that guest. Is. I met all of them at Tso Spain. Yeah. And none of whom would have had the chance to go to TESOL Spain if it hadn't been remote. Um, and yes, yeah, some other benefits I found with the, the remote um, conferences is you don't have to fully attend everything. I know one thing I get when you go to a face-to-face conference, every session you go to, you're in there 100% all your attention and that kind of takes away from you. But with these online ones, you can use one of them maybe as a podcast where you walk your dog or maybe you're doing the washing up so you can have a listen and they can be recorded and you can go back later. Um, But I did discover this weekend, the, the first times I ever felt a real downside to an online conference and that was, it was at the Innovate conference in Barcelona. And I just, I wanted to go to every talk. Uh, I just so desperately wanted to go to every talk. And it was from 10 in the morning till about six in the evening. And I also gave a talk there and, and at a conference in Scotland. Um, and by but by four o'clock on the second day, I couldn't anymore. I, ju- I just mm. couldn't take it. I was, the Zoom fatigue was real. Now I've never had Zoom fatigue quite like that. Mm. So um, I'm going to I'm going to ask Annie first about this because she is one of the one of the bigwigs of T-Self Spain. Um, <laughs> she is one of the, the the bigger fish, as it were, <laughs> um, when it comes to T-cell Spain. Um, what was it like switching everything to online? How did it feel, and how did you deal with it, and how did you execute such an incredible conference like that?
3: Well, it was a roller coaster uh, because. It, we, we didn't know anything about running a conference online, but uh, we said, okay, we have to because um, we normally, mm, immediately after our conference, which the last one face to face was here in Salamanca and we were praying to God or the God of whoever, uh, that uh, everything would remain open until we finished. Because uh, that weekend there were serious conversations going around that everything was going to be shut down. So uh, it was—I think—it was the last international conference to be held anywhere, because it, it, the following Friday we were locked down. So people were still optimistic that we would be able to have the face-to-face conference this March, and. And I was very pessimistic as months uh, uh, went by. I, I thought, no, 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 this is not going to be possible. So we decided that no matter what, we were going to go online because otherwise if we had to cancel just like IA Tefel had to cancel or TESOL International had to cancel, that would have been the ruin uh, of TESOL Spain. And that would probably mean that we would disappear as an association because we can't afford that. So we, have, we are very lucky to have uh, Ryan Gornell on, on, on the board. And he's our whiz kid. I always call him our whiz kid because he's a really techie guy. He knows a lot about technology. And uh, he was really the mastermind behind the technology of our conference. Um, he started looking for options, and we decided to uh, hire Hoover. It was the first time for everybody on the board, even for Ryan, because he had no experience setting up a conference like this. But Hoover really, and I mean, I am not on their payroll at all, but uh, I I, I mean, uh, they were really very supportive. They helped us a lot, they made things easy for us, and we worked a lot. Uh, I mean, everybody was really very much into it. We had training sessions as monitors, we had training sessions with the speakers. It was more work, really, than the face-to-face conference. And we didn't know what it was going to be like. But it was but then fantastic. It was great because uh, all the facilities that, that, that Hoover gave us and all the, the apps and all the resources that they gave us, uh, it made the conference really interactive. But it was a roller coaster. It was a roller coaster because we didn't know not until the first day was over uh, could we say, okay, we did it. And, uh, and we realized that it was very good because, for example, with the communities that we had, uh, there was a, a level of networking uh, with Simon, with Simon Perlman. I remember talking about this and we said, we may have made a lot more contacts this way than if we are in the actual site. Because normally when you're at a conference face to face if i see a group of people i don't just pop in and say hello i'm manuel tamirano i would like to talk with you no i don't do that although people think i am not shy i am quite shy and i would never do that but in the communities online we did that and it was okay and that was how we networked with a lot of people so uh but but We were exhausted. I mean, even if if it was half days, four half days, uh, by the end, by by the evening of Saturday, of the first Saturday, I I was destroyed. I mean, it was like, Oh my god! <laughs> I, I can't. I can't sit in front of a screen for yeah. the next twenty four hours.
1: I absolutely loved the the way the app. The thing you say about networking. It was amazing for me. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. And like where you saw, I was constantly yeah. on there. Yes. Um, I was there. I was in every conversation. Yes, but-
3: I, it was like. This guy never has lunch, never never <laughs> eat. Never, never, I mean, he was always there, even when he was walking the dog. <laughs> yeah.
1: Constantly. Um, I just, I got so addicted to it and just meeting all these people. And, and like you say, yeah. when I go to a face-to-face conference, what I'll do is I'll walk into a room, I'll go straight for the people that I know. You know, I'll go yeah. for, if I'm in a conference in Athea or something, I always go straight to Teresa, to Teresa Bestwick. Yeah. straight over there and it's like so what have you been up to for the last year cool and then I look across I look for somebody else that I know and it's not very often that I'll go and just you know I'm gonna go and meet a new person because why not you know (laughs) hi there I'd rather stand in a corner and drink eight cups of coffee and just get more and more nervous (laughs) um so what do you think about the online conferences Romina
2: yeah, well, I have to say that I was in Tifel, Spain, and, I, and and it could show that all the work they have done before, all the preparation and the anticipation, I remember that I got contacted many, I mean, months before the, the mm. conference went on by Anita Lutencourt. she was my yeah. host. And I remember that we met and we practiced and to see how the, how the, the app, how Huba uh, goes along. And, and that was, I think, something key to me that was key. That was essential uh, because I, I will have to admit that every time we go online and we have to use a format that it's not the one we are used to using. It gives, I mean, it, it yeah. gives us, you know, this this feeling of uneasiness. You know, whether I, I like today, for instance, I said I, I was like a little bit like worried about the call, the call to the yes. radio show, more than what I was going to say yeah. <laughs> on the show. <laughs> and so, uh, but but yeah, uh, I think the one thing, one one thing, I don't know, but at least I learned. Uh, from the 2020 is that uh, at the beginning probably when we had to adapt our lessons to a new format uh, we insisted or at least I insisted on trying to adapt things as if they were going to work in the same way Mm. and that was the big mistake I think that it was like I always say this, it's like well you know how to swim, that's okay that's great, but you need to swim in the ocean, you cannot swim in the snow So the thing is this, you know, Well, we know how to teach and what to teach. But one thing is to teach on site or to give a conference Mm -hmm. on site. And another thing is to give it in a different format, in a different environment. So I I think that was that was like the big lesson. We all educators, especially the ones that I mean, in, in my case, the 2020 was the first time I taught a lesson online. I hadn't had the chance before. So, um, you know, having those either battles in one where, where I wanted to, to test my students in the same way that I had been testing for uh, for the many years I've been teaching. Okay, that was like, okay, forget about that. Find a new way to teach your students, to assess your students because this is a different reality. And I've learned so many things, and I adapted and I, I mean, you know this. Sort of Darwinian philosophy, you know, mm. that if we want to uh, survive, we need to adapt. Exactly. <laughs> and- <laughs> And so, so well, uh, I love doing the, the, the online conference. I have to admit that, that I would love to have, you know, the coffee after the conference, one, once the conference the is over. <laughs> the, yeah, you know, the socializing, you know, yes. to get the chance to go to Madrid or to, I don't know, in, in, in November I'll be giving a talk in for, for Maryland, for TESOL Maryland, and then for TESOL France. And I will... Well,
3: oh, we are going to be there, all of us. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think that you're starting it, Romina. You're one of the first ones on, and I'm one of the last ones on. So we're bookending <laughs> the conference. Yes.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop you guys there for a moment. I'm gonna pop off. We're gonna pop off for an ad break and a news break. And when we get back, we're gonna get down to the brass taxes of it. And I don't like to say this, but I'm gonna say it. We're gonna talk about. <coughs> OK, I'm not going to say it. People who are teachers of English who don't have it as their first language and people who are teachers of English who do have it as their first language. That's how I'm going to phrase it. Um, other people say native and non-native teacher, but I would never say such a horrible thing. So I'm going to shoot off for of the news. We'll be back in about five minutes and we're going to get down to the brass tacks of it.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Megan Goods.
5: This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio News. The government has laid out plans to make offering advertising or providing essay writing services to university and college students for financial gain illegal the new measure will be part of the skills and post 16 education bill which hopes to transform further and technical education the department for education said it hopes the criminalization of essay mill services will stop students from falling prey to deceptive marketing techniques from contract cheating services. The latest coronavirus figures show that 204,000 students were absent in England last week due to contracting or having close contact with the virus. This equates to one in 40 students off school in England up from 1 in 80 on September the 7th. Teaching unions have called the statistics grim and fear it is the unvaccinated status of the majority of 10 to 19-year-olds that is causing the rise. That was your latest Teachers Talk Radio News.
0: Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programs to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppy's Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit OxfordPrimary.com forward slash phonics.
4: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Deanna Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about Black British, Caribbean, and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media, at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes.
0: Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge, and empower your team through the MAL CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course? Or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the Assertive Leadership and the Emotionally Intelligent Leader courses? All MAL CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back. Um, so, as I mentioned right before the the uh, the news break, that we were going to talk about a debate that I find somewhat ridiculous. Um, it is twenty twenty one, and it is completely um, well. It's very silly. Um, I think one of the main reasons for it is is the business side of things, I guess. But it is the age old debate of a native English speaker versus a non-native English speaker. Now, in Europe, now you're not allowed to advertise for a native speaker to to work in in your academy or your school. Um, And in fact, it's very, very difficult um, for somebody from um, from outside of Spain or somebody who hasn't studied here. It's quite difficult to get into the public education system because the public examination system's quite tricky and you know Um, but it doesn't stop the discrimination happening which is kind of ridiculous. We have with us two guests both of whom are non-native speakers Mm -hmm. and I'll quite confidently say both of whom are better teachers than I am and I am a native speaker. So I'm going to before saying too much about it, because I might just get angry and irate and start shouting about how ridiculous it is, I'm going to hand over to I'm going to hand over to Annie um, and ask how Annie feels about this and how it's kind of affected her career. And then I'll let uh, Romina take the stage after, or you can talk amongst yourselves because I'm sure you've experienced some of the same experiences. So, so ladies. I'm going to be quiet now. If, Annie, you'd like
3: to... Okay. Um, Well, I never experienced that in my own country. In fact, uh, for a few years, I taught at Asociación Argentina de Cultura Inglesa and I started teaching because uh, I had to replace a native speaker teacher whose performance was very unsatisfactory. So... It wasn't my experience in Argentina in those days. I don't know what it is like now because I, I have been away from the country for the last eighteen years. But in my time, even if you were a native speaker, you wouldn't be able to teach unless you had a degree, an exactly. official qualification of some kind. I mean, uh, no, uh, uh, even private language schools, let alone the official side of things because it's very different from here. Well, you know, Harry, because you you were there. But um, in the private sector, uh, no uh, language academy uh, who looked after its own prestige would hire a native speaker who was not a teacher, who didn't have some qualification. When I came here, the first cultural shock I had um, was not bullfighting, but being told that I wasn't um, able to teach English because I wasn't a native speaker. I remember that I started offering my services as a private teacher because to begin with, when I wanted to validate my degree, uh, they I've, I quickly found out that it was impossible because they, uh, let's say, the degree uh, that as a teacher of English, does not exist in Spain. You are a filólogo, which has nothing to do with teaching. <laughs> so, um, uh, so I would have had to do the whole career again, and I said, no way. When I showed my MA diploma, my certificate, I remember that the lady in the ministry said, oh, no, no, but that's worth nothing. And I said, excuse me. This is a postgraduate degree, official degree from a British university. And as far as I know, Britain is in the European Union at that time, it was: At that time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, but and soon I realized that in Spain, any course, even if it is, I don't know, arranging flowers in a shop window, any course you do that is uh, more than 120 hours is called a master's. So I said, okay. So I started teaching privately. And I remember a lady calling uh, because uh, she wanted support for her 12-year-old child um, who had failed her uh, exams. And so uh, I said, well, this is what I charge. This is the time. Oh, but you are not a native, (laughs) she said suddenly. And I said, I immediately realized what she meant, but I wanted to be ironic. So I said, Well, I am a native, but depending on where you mean. And I said, Oh, no, no, but you're not a nativa, which struck me as really stupid. And I said, Well, if you mean a native speaker of English, no, I'm not. But uh, I guess that you have never heard me speak in English, or you have never seen me teaching English. Oh no, no, no! That's not what I need. I want a native Klunk.
1: I think and for, for me, what the real the real key in that is there's something you just said there. It's not the the necessarily as much you haven't heard me speak in English is you haven't seen me teach.
4: That's now right. I've done
1: a lot of observations in my time, and I've observed. A lot of non-native teachers and a lot of native teachers. Now, I can't say that all non-native teachers are good teachers. They're not. not. But they are almost always better prepared because what they've done is they've spent their entire life dedicated to English, to teaching. That's like their passion. That is their career. That is what they want. A lot of native English teachers want to go on holiday. I, I, for example, learned how to be an English teacher by going to Argentina. I just wanted to get out of England. And to be honest, that's how I started. And I was a rubbish, rubbish teacher for quite a long time because I had no idea. I did my CELTA 120 hours. Suddenly I'm as good as in fact, I was suddenly better than people who had studied for years and years and years because I'd spent 800 euros and done a 120 hour course. Suddenly I had moved myself from being nobody to on top of the pile now because you know, I have quite a nice accent um, (laughs) and I speak English and I'm a native so they moved me up there. So it was, yeah, they haven't seen you teach and that's for me is the absolute key. Like somebody's Besides, teaching ability is not related to what they speak. Sorry, Annie, I interrupted right. yeah. you. No,
3: no. And, 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 uh, and, and there's another thing. Uh, I think that one of the advantages that we have as non native speakers of a language is that we are successful models. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly that.
2: Totally. I was going to say that. Yeah, I was going to mention that we don't have that problem in Argentina. And I think it is because geographically speaking, we are so far from everywhere. So we don't have (laughs) the possibility of having native speakers. Yeah, at least in the past 10 years. Before that, we may have had the possibility. And actually, I worked with I had colleagues from uh, the United States and also from England, and, well, but we, we never suffered that, you know, what Annie is describing, like, you know, not being granted a job because you are not a native speaker of the English language. Uh, but uh, as I had this show and I wanted to come very well prepared, I found some interesting articles published. And apparently, for instance, in Chicago, not Chicago, no, it's in North Carolina, they carried out and studied. And they say that this it was like something that was um, brought up on the stage, let's say, by school administrators, like thinking that the students who were going to enroll in courses would prefer to have a native English uh, speaker teacher uh, as opposed to a non-native one. And they carry out some, um, a survey and, and they collected some data And the evidence they found was that there are are 10 categories, apparently, that students value the most in teachers, in any teacher. Yeah. So irrespectively of the discipline uh, we teach. And so when it comes to languages, of course, it is oral skills, literacy skills, grammar, vocabulary, culture, ability to answer questions, experiences as an ESL learner, what just Annie mentioned before, teaching methodology, hard work and affection. And so they grouped these ten categories in three subgroups: linguistic factors, teaching styles, and personal factors, and how all these affect, you know, the teacher as a whole. As, as a whole, and of course, there were areas in which, uh, because you are a native speaker, you excel at. Yeah, of course, probably pronunciation. You know, when it comes mm-hmm. to pronunciation to rhythm. But then, um, as, as you lo- sort of learn the language naturally, because you learn it in your home environment, then you probably do not pay much attention to grammar, you know, to the pattern and the structure That's of the language. Right. So it, I, I ended up, you know, after reading this, I'm going to send you this because it's very interesting. Yes, please. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I came to the conclusion that it would be like the two of us, <laughs> we, we, we should come Across with, let's say, a whole, yeah, like saying, okay, the non native, I mean, have all these strengths, you know, and, uh, and but they also have weaknesses in the same way as non native teachers. So it's like the complement, yeah, to complement each other uh, right. would be like this. And, and and as you were saying, Harry, this is like kind of, I don't know what uh, the, the debate is, it, it probably comes you know from this the site of you know the school administrations and mm-hmm.
4: they
2: uh, are pre- presuming and assuming that uh, students and families are going to be looking for a native speaker that uh, uh, as far as what Annie said well some are you know very into you know this idea of having yeah. uh, a native teacher in front of their children or students
1: I honestly think out of all those things that you mentioned about the only thing that a native teacher has over a non-native teacher, out of all of those factors is pronunciation and it's a natural pronunciation and I'll be honest some non-native teachers don't even have the nicest pronunciation in the world you know there -hmm. there are native teachers who don't pronounce words properly but grammar is atrocious. I I remember doing my CELTA and somebody mentioned that in the past perfect, uh, you had to use a past participle. And I just looked across like, you've got a past participle, have you got antibiotics for that? That doesn't sound very nice. You know, and, and, and they mentioned the third conditional. And I was like, Woof, is that when you put the air conditioning? Is that when it like moves around the room? Like, I had no idea about these yeah. things. So like the only literally the only advantage I had was that I had like my pronunciation was good, but then you know I came here, I worked in China as well, and it's done is it's not done for any teaching reasons whatsoever. You cannot hire a native speaker over a non native speaker for any teaching reasons it's purely in my opinion done for for marketing side of things because yeah, there are those awful parents who think, oh, it's a native teacher. So therefore, if they're teaching my student, my, my son, my son will speak instantly and they will sound the same as them. They won't, your student will not sound the same as me. Your, your daughter won't. And, and another thing that I got really angry about here when I started teaching, um, I was teaching, in, when I started teaching in, in a school, sorry. They said to me, you cannot tell the, te- the students that you know Spanish. And I was, like, I was like, why? Because they'll speak to you in Spanish, and I say, Well, they won't because I'll tell them this is English class, and in here we speak it in English. But but they're like, Yeah, but you can't they can't know that you speak Spanish. Why not? I want them to know that I can speak Spanish, I want them to know that I've learned Spanish, I want them to know that I've worked hard to improve my level of Spanish, and you know, I've been here for. But I don't want them to think, wow, he's lived here for 10 years and he can't speak Spanish and he's in here trying to tell us to speak English. Well, he can do something with bad words. Um, yeah, like it's not the impression I want to give. So so that was one thing about it. And another thing, I mean, I really don't like the term non-native because it, 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 number one, it's ridiculous, as Annie said of course she she is native she's uh, native to Argentina that's you know, right she, she is a native she's not she, <laughs> English isn't her first language but you know what it's her second language and she's pretty good at it I'll be honest um <laughs> but yeah it was that that thing and we, we were talking about it just before we came on and I don't want to take this away from you guys because you came up with it um And I I mentioned about having two scientist parents and so on. So Mm -hmm. I think it was, I can't remember who Mm -hmm. started it. So I'm going to let you guys jump in with it. I'll let you scrap over this idea about the non-idea. So Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. and and totally, we're not defined. That's very strange, yeah? When you say you have to define yourself, but not by who you're not that's like not that that, that's not natural that's like kind of ridiculous i i I remember we had a conversation with simon about this like saying you don't describe yourself as i am non-short or non-fat you that's right (laughs) so so why that Uh, but then you know you, you got me thinking about this when you were speaking harry about the time when i was in england and i had to teach spanish And I remember that I did not feel confident at all. I had my students asking me several questions about, for example, why is it that we split the object when we speak Spanish? Yeah, uh, you um, Or sorry, not that we split, the other way about. You split it in in English, we just uh, put it attached to the verb in Spanish. And so I I didn't have the answers for that because I realized, I mean, I, I know Spanish, I learn it naturally. That was the, the language that was spoken at home. So, but then, uh, and as I was living with a host family, I, I had the chance to do some tutoring uh, for their little children. And so I remember I helped them with the homework from the, I mean, English homework. And, and there I felt like I was more, you know, equipped. Uh, I yeah. was like better prepared for that. So basically, what my point is that maybe it depends on what your objective is as a learner. For instance, if you just want to uh, get a teacher because you're going to travel to, you're going to visit England and you want to know how they sound in London, for instance, uh, maybe that would be great to have a native teacher, right? Uh, But if you want to do a course in which you're going to get into the language, uh, that's going to be I mean, it's going to be the same as long as both teachers, you know, native and not native, uh, you know, have studied the language. And uh, so so basically that, it, it probably depends on your objective as a learner, what's your outcome, um, mm-hmm. and um, what you are pursuing, what you're looking for in, in that teacher.
4: Yeah.
2: Um, and as you were saying well, before, these, um, you know, you probably this, has stemmed from, you know, marketing reasons, administrative reasons, yeah.
3: yeah. Sure, and, and something that uh, many a times when I talk to people here in, in Spain and they bring up this question of the native, non-native um, thing, and, uh, and I tell them, okay, but uh, when, when you mean a native speaker of English, a native from where you mean? Because it's like, I mean, I, I, I can tell you, I'm a native speaker of Spanish, but I am a native speaker of Argentine Spanish. And within Argentina, you have different accents. The porteños speak in one way. I am from the province of Buenos Aires. We have a softer accent, but we speak very differently from the cordobeses, from the people in Salta in the north, depending on which part of the north. The same happens in every country. Here in Spain, for example, it's very different the accent of a Galician from somebody from Andalusia. And in Andalusia, you have Sevillanos, Cordobeses, Valencianos. Uh, Sorry, Valencianos, not in Andalusia. Um, uh, So, a native English from where? Because you can have a native speaker of English from London, from Newcastle, from anywhere in Yorkshire, from Scotland, Uh, from Wales, from the United States, from different parts of the countries. So what do you mean when you speak? I want a teacher who is a native speaker of English. Okay, because they are excellent models of pronunciation. And as you said, uh, Harry, depending the way that native speaker of English speaks, because one of my favorite sitcoms was uh, Little Britain. Mm -hmm. And... I remember Vicky Pollard.
1: Mm -hmm, Exactly. I
3: wonder what sort of role model for pronunciation Vicky Pollard can be. Would she be the perfect model for those parents?
1: Exactly. and I don't know. (laughs) And another thing you mentioned there, when they say native speaker here as well, you know... What they mean by native speaker because if uh, somebody from Kenya came to their classroom, absolutely a native Kenyan speaker, that 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 suddenly is a whole different kettle of fish, you know? They that's are a native right. speaker. Oh, well, we didn't mean a native speaker, no, you didn't, did you? We know exactly what you meant. What that's you meant right. was a young, attractive, white <laughs> person from England, is what you mean that's it. like, but you're well, calling it a native speaker,
3: that's right, actually. Uh, I've had, I've seen that happening. Um, I'm not going to mention the company, but uh, the language school I work for gives in-company classes. And in one uh, department, uh, they requested our services, and they specifically asked for native teachers of English from England. They didn't want Scots or Welsh, Irish... Americans, let alone African native speakers of the language. Mm -hmm. So uh, even within the category, the broad category of a native speaker teacher, people still discriminate depending where that native speaker teacher is from, Mm -hmm. which uh, it was something that I, uh, let's say I used in a positive way when Tesol Spain, uh, I, I was president of Tesol Spain when we issued our uh, non-discrimination policy, which you can see on our webpage, and we stand, we we were the first in Spain, and I think that um, after Tesol uh, International and and IATEFL, we were the first association to stand publicly against discriminating teachers on account of their passport, and. I remember when we had the board meeting where we discussed this, my, let's say, uh, non-Spanish or uh, native (laughs) uh, speaker uh, colleagues were worried that uh, people from English-speaking countries would see this as an attack on them. And I said, no way, this is not. Because of this, and I gave them the example. So I said, listen, Karen, you're from from Glasgow, you wouldn't be able to teach because they don't want you, they want somebody English Mm -hmm. and uh, somebody from Ireland wouldn't be able to teach. Tammy, you wouldn't be able to teach, you are an American. So this discrimination is not limited to the non-native teacher of English. It is Mm -hmm. also discriminating against people from English-speaking countries who are not, as you say, the... Typical white uh, person from England, and particularly from the area of London.
1: Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Now I know that Romina has to has to depart in in a few yeah. minutes, oh, so I'm yes. going to give Romina the last five minutes before we go after the news. Um, I'm going to say thank you very much for coming now because I, I'd like you to, to speak a little bit. Now we mentioned just before we came on about uh, a football player, yeah. you know, so. I'd love it yeah. if you could give us that analogy about a football yeah. player. Before yeah, we
2: go. well, we were just describing this idea of if you're born into a house where football is, for example, something a popular thing, or you are born into a house where one of your parents is a footballer, and then so that uh, you end up being a footballer. So then you are going to be like an athletic footballer versus maybe a non athletic, that was the name we put it, hmm. a non athletic footballer if you were born into a house in which your parents are not uh, from the sports side. And in the same way, what would have happened if, for instance, in the case of teachers of music, whether they, mus- they had a musical background or they do not have a musical background. So it would have never occur to any of us to say that we, we have like musical uh, teachers of, uh, of, of music uh, versus non-musical teachers of music. Uh, so, like that, like this de- division or this, you know, this the categorizing us into one thing or another is kind of, to me, it's ridiculous. Even though I understand mm. where this might be coming from, and it's good to do some research, and it's good to do, you know, to 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 interview the students and to to ask the students what they are looking for when they want to have a teacher in front of them teaching a language or teaching any other discipline.
1: Exactly. I, the, the way I thought of it as well was. You know, I I like to imagine that if, you know, my parents had been doctors, you know, and, and I say, Okay, well my parents are doctors, so that means I'm a doctor How about you come to me and I'll do your heart surgery? Both of my parents are heart surgeons, so therefore I'm a heart surgeon, right? Right. For me, that's the same as a, the native, non-native teacher. A doctor is a doctor because they've studied to be a doctor. They've spent years of their life studying, so they can open up your chest and fix your heart. I wouldn't want to do that. I'm not great with blood. Um But it's the same with a teacher. If your teacher has studied their entire adult life to become a teacher, then guess what? They're probably a pretty good teacher, whether they're from England, Spain, Argentina, Kazakhstan, Kenya, um, Mongolia, wherever they're from, I'm pretty sure that, you know, if they've studied it, they're probably quite good at it and very passionate about it. So on that note, Romina, thank you very much for joining us. So, have fun you. in your remote class. <laughs>
2: thank you very much. Thank you, Annie. So it was lovely you, to see you, Romina. Yeah, lovely, lovely to see you guys. Take care and have a good evening. You there. You too. We will do. You All have right. a lovely
1: day. See you later.
2: Stay
1: well, bye-bye. See ya. We'll do. So we're gonna shoot off for another news and ad break now. Um, when we come back, it's gonna be me and Annie. All the way out till half past five if you're in Britain, half past six if you're here, uh, half past twelve if you're in Argentina. I'm not sure. No, half, past one. half past one if you're in Argentina. That's it. Yeah, they're five hours difference, isn't there? Yep. Yeah, at the moment. That does that at change? The that changes yes. when we go back well, and they go. When we
3: go, no, they they don't change. We change. Okay. So It's going to be four hours.
1: Okay, so only we change. They don't change. Yeah. I'm already confused enough with time differences across yes. the world. Now, can we all just stop changing the time so we can just keep the same time difference? Now, that's a debate for another day, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, So we'll be back in about three minutes after the news and the adverts uh, where Annie and I are going to continue the great debate.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Megan Goods.
5: This is your latest Teacher's Talk Radio News. The government has laid out plans to make offering, advertising or providing essay writing services to university and college students for financial gain illegal. The new measure will be part of the Skills and Post-16 Education Bill, which hopes to transform further and technical education. The Department for Education said it hopes the criminalisation of SA Mill services will stop students from falling prey to deceptive marketing techniques from contract cheating services. The latest coronavirus figures show that 204,000 students were absent in England last week due to contracting or having close contact with the virus. This equates to 1 in 40 students off school in England, up from 1 in 80 on September seventh. Teaching unions have called the statistics grim and fear it is the unvaccinated status of the majority of 10 to 19-year-olds that is causing the rise. That was your latest Teachers Talk Radio News.
0: Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Do you struggle with people-pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course? Or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses. All MalCPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com.
1: We're back. Hello there. Um, thank you for sticking with us. We're, we're back for the, the last half hour here. Now, um, we're not just going to talk about non-native teachers and native teachers because, <laughs> I'll be honest, I think it's a it is a fairly ridiculous argument. Um, hmm. It's it's one that you know it's going to continue in Asia because it is in the in the school system over there. It's a, it's a big sales point for some schools over others. Yeah. I think it's becoming less that way here in Spain, particularly since Brexit, where it's harder to get new teachers over here. So they're kind of having to trust what that what is here now. They can't just ship in a new batch of 22-year-old people who don't want to be in England anymore. Um, (laughs) So it is kind of changing. Um, We will touch on that as well, though. But I'd like to talk a bit more about you and your experience um, and a bit about poetry as well. But before I do that, I just want to say that I'm really, really happy today. Today has been a fantastic day for me because today I got solar power in my house.
3: Oh, that's wonderful.
1: So I am oh. delighted. I am Renewable English with Renewable yes. <laughs> Energy now. It's great news. We previously had it for our water, but we now have it for our house as well. And the fact that we have 320 days of sun a year is probably the best idea to do.
3: Yes. Yeah, that's right. Because you are in the south, right?
1: I am. I in just outside Sevilla.
3: Yeah, that's it.
1: And I think I, it's rained I, I, about five times this year.
3: I, I I sometimes wonder what makes someone from the British Isles go to places where in summer temperatures go up to 50 almost. <laughs>
1: I mean- yeah, well, I, I think that the big thing for me was I when I was about 11, I, I lived in a place called Northampton in England. Now, oh, yes. Um, it's you know you know where it is you're 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 a, a well travelled person um not many people know where it is because it's quite rubbish um and, <laughs> i've seen it on the map i mean exactly, i've never yeah. been there yeah well you don't ever need to go there um i was in i was inspired from about the age of 11 to to leave the uk purely based on the fact i lived in northampton um So yeah, as soon as I was 18, I I left Northampton, I went to university in Canterbury. And then when I finished university, I went back to Northampton for a year to, I worked three jobs to be able to afford to go to Argentina and to get out of of the UK. So um, I then kind of traveled around just, you know, as you do, as I could, you know, that was the reason I became an English teacher to travel around, not because I love the language, and I probably wasn't the best teacher in the world, I'll be honest, um, but I did get hired frequently because I was a native speaker and I used to be quite handsome. Um, so I traveled around. I'm
3: sure, I'm sure you still are, you wow. still are, you know. if I may say so. Oh,
1: Thank you very much. Oh, I'm blushing, <laughs> nobody can see it, but I am blushing. Um, so I then traveled around and I came to Spain initially with the, with the idea of, of learning Spanish and coming mm-hmm. back to Europe because I'd been out of uh, Europe and I'd not seen my grandparents at the time for three years. And I was like, I want to come back here in a place where I can be closer to my grandparents. Um, so I originally went to Cordoba, the Spanish Cordoba, not the, uh, not the one in Argentina. Um, and when I was there, I actually got really sick. And luckily the Spanish healthcare system kept me alive. Um, and continued thanks to good old healthcare here, which is really good. Continued to do so for a further eight years after that, and I guess it's still doing now. Um, but I've all, I've loved bridges my whole life, and I really loved the Alamillo Bridge, which is a, the first ever single-sided suspension bridge. So that's what brought me to Sevilla. And then I would originally go back, go home, go back to the UK in August for the first few years. But recently, uh, I don't know, I don't it's hot here, but I think I've got used to it now, you know I just <laughs> yeah, I just possibly. sleep a lot.
3: yeah, yeah now I, I mean, uh, um, my favorite season of the year is summer, but provided the temperature is reasonably high, which I think in parts of Andalusia, it is quite unreasonable. Yep. And provided I'm close to the sea. I mean, Salamanca is not the best place to choose when you think about the things that I like, because here it's really cold in winter. Uh, summers are quite hot. And, and you're far are, from the sea. Yeah, we are three hours away from the nearest coast. <laughs> that is Portugal. Yeah. So, um, but luckily, my eldest son lives in Galicia. So uh, when it starts getting hot here, we escape north. I pack all my things (laughs) in the car and we spend the whole summer in the north Um, because I I love the Mediterranean. I think it's wonderful, but I like it in winter. So my ideal life in the future is from early October to May uh, in Mojácar or Almería, somewhere there. Yeah. And then from May till the end of September in the north in uh, Ferrol or Coruña or somewhere near the sea. Yeah. Um, I, I hope I can do that at some point.
1: <laughs> now, we, we mentioned very briefly before about the effect of, of, of Brexit on the native non native debate. Yeah. Um, I, I've seen this year in various Facebook groups more than any year ever so many like last minute um requests from academies and so on and so forth looking for teachers i've never seen so many academies at the last minute desperately out there saying we need a teacher we need a teacher now i imagine this we, we can you know thank yeah. mr cameron for this and mr johnson <laughs> um but do you think it will have a uh, a positive effect for the, um, for the non-native teacher or for the teacher who has trained to be an English teacher their entire life, I might like to call them instead.
3: Yeah. Uh, well, possibly, but I'm not sure uh, because I think that there are plenty of uh, English-speaking, native English-speaking teachers or people here who may consider... Uh, doing a CELTA course and becoming a teacher, seeing that there is a job opportunity out there. Um, I hope that this whole Brexit situation is is going to affect the profession positively and give uh, teachers whose first language is not English uh, and who are properly trained. I mean, I have nothing against... uh, teachers from english speaking countries who are properly trained i think that the key here is teachers who are properly trained versus people who teach the language without being properly trained
1: absolutely I think that that's
3: the the debate
1: yeah 100% that
3: that's the thing i mean i'm not against uh, an academy hiring you because they think that you are the profile they need. Uh, you are properly trained. You are a good teacher. Uh, but I would like to see that a person who is not from an English-speaking country and has the same qualifications has the same opportunity. It's a question of having the same opportunities. Uh, people of uh, equal qualifications with equal qualifications having the same opportunities for getting a job. I think that 100%. that's
1: Exactly, it really is. It was it was yeah. something mentioned on a, on another LinkedIn post. I saw um, a Brazilian chap who said the the most difficult thing for him when he started writing was his name. You know, because people would look at the name and be like, eh, "Well, not an it, English it, name." So it
3: hasn't been for me. Surprisingly, I started writing back in 1999 for Macmillan, Argentina. And it was a happy coincidence because, well, uh, there were a number of, of, of issues that um, gave me this chance, and they didn't care. I mean, they knew me. Okay. Um, I, I knew everybody in Macmillan uh, because of, of my job uh, in Argentina. I had lots of connections with people from the publishing houses, and they knew me. And so, people in Macmillan thought, okay, you are the person who can do this. And I said, but I have never written a book. And they said, okay, but you write your own materials, don't you? Yes, I do. Okay, so you are the perfect person for the job. You know the job, you are a teacher, and you know how to write materials. And what you don't know, we can teach you. So that's how I started. And then I started writing for Macmillan UK, and then for Cengage, and then for Cambridge University Press. Right now, and this is by no means an ad because I am a freelance uh, author and trainer. But I, most of my writing is for a German publisher and for Cambridge University Press. And I do training for Cambridge University Press. And I've also done training for Pearson. And they don't care that I am not a native speaker. So this is something that surprises me. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, Some people may think that this discrimination extends to other uh, environments or other aspects of our teaching, of our profession. And no, I disagree. I am the living example of that.
1: I I have to agree with you there on a lot of these, a lot of aspects. I mean, it may have been the case um, for this gentleman in, in the first instances, um, maybe certain publishers or certain areas with, within his within his um, own country I think he's, he was from Brazil as I mentioned, but for me, a lot of the people i 've connected with and so i 've been well i 've been writing now for not very long um, well i 've actually been writing for about eight years, but properly writing and being published mm. for for a couple of years now um, but most of the people that I get advice from that i you know, that I talk to, that I see in online and the, the books that I read, they're, they're not native speakers because when it comes to writing a book, when it comes to having that knowledge of it, you need to have the knowledge, you need to have the experience. You, you yeah. don't need to be able to, you know... You, you don't need to have like an Oxonian accent. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> your, your accent doesn't matter at all. And That's I right. can guarantee that your grammatical knowledge of English is far superior to mine. I mean, mine's all right now. I've been teaching for 15 <laughs> years, so I've actually caught up from, from back when I was in Argentina and you know, I couldn't tell you a, a past participle from a modal verb. Um, although, and I guess quite a few people in the UK probably still can't, to be honest.
3: But that's, that's the same case Romina mentioned. I mean, if you ask me to teach you Spanish, well, I would have to sit down and study first because I wouldn't be able... I mean, if, I, if, a, if if a foreigner asks me to explain the difference between ser and estar, oh my God, I have to go get some grammar books and study because I don't know. I mean, out of the blue, I cannot figure out how to. But if you ask me, okay, what's the difference between the past perfect and the present perfect? And I can tell you that in a... In, in no time.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I'm, my... I, I struggle with that I'll be honest.
3: <laughs> That's right. But I, I wouldn't be able to, to to explain to you the difference because I've been using the language ever since I started speaking when I was yeah. a baby.
1: Yeah. But
3: I never, well, I had language, Spanish lessons at school, in secondary school. But that was long ago, I mean.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I always tell this this story to to people when I'm talking about um, Spanish. I still make a lot of mistakes with said and this, Dad. I haven't studied studied grammar woof, for a very long time. I learned most of my Spanish from you know being here and being interested in the language and reading and um, and doing the things that you need to do when you go to yeah. another country, um, or that you should do when you go to another country. Maybe not that people do, um, but I have one classic example of me making quite a bad error actually when somebody asked me at the end of a class we were leaving and my my daughter must have been three at the time and they asked me you know is, is she a good kid and I said si sí, esta buena and,
3: <laughs>
1: and I should have said es buena like, and that's, that's one right. of the differences because esta buena for those of you who don't speak Spanish means she's like really hot she's really attractive and and the the person kind of looked to me like I don't think you meant to say that um (laughs) and I've I've also made the mistake of when you're hot you say tengo calor I have hot I've also made the classic error of saying estoy (laughs) caliente which means I'm I'm hot but for something else um I'm hot for other things that aren't appropriate to talk about on a radio show. Um, That's right. <laughs> so there are these kind of these funny errors, but it it's good as a language learner to have them and to be able to yes. laugh at them. And yes. I love taking those into the classroom and telling my students that I've done this. And they kind of sit there and laugh quite a lot because one of my students, um, we, he was talking about um, in his house, he has a corner where he did manualidades, um, but he translated it into English and he said, I have a corner for hand jobs. And I was like, oh. no, you can't say that. You can't say that. And we burnt, like, I burst out laughing and he just looked at me and was like, manualidades. Like, I was like, no, it's not no, the no, same. No, no. <laughs> no it's, it's it's really quite different. It's, you know, you do handiwork there maybe, but definitely that is not what that's the corner for. Um uh, yeah, I don't think your house is built like that, Alvaro. So yeah, you know, it's good that you yeah. can laugh at yourself, but students need to learn to be able to laugh at themselves, and that takes yeah. away that fear of, of making mistakes. Um, because we all make mistakes. Of course. And, and it's another thing I talk about with, with the people who have English as a as their mother tongue, as a first language. You look on Facebook and you'll see yeah. your, 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 there, 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 all wrong Effect. Effect, effect, all of them wrong. But if you say to a seven-year-old student, write your, they'll know if they're writing you are or your belonging right. to you. A seven-year-old student will know it instantly. And, they'll, and if you tell them that people back home will make a mistake with it, they'll just look at you like, why? Why would yeah. they make a mistake? They're two obviously different things. So, yeah, yeah, native people hmm. are quite bad as well.
3: <laughs> well, yes, and it happens in, in all languages, because when when i when i read facebook posts in spanish my eyes sometimes bleed <laughs> it's my god the spelling mistakes and just to think that facebook has a, 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 a checker a grammar checker a spell checker but no they wouldn't pay attention and and sometimes you you see things and say listen but don't you have a dictionary at hand <laughs>
1: Exactly. Doesn't your spell checker work? Like That's yeah.
3: right. Uh,
1: yeah. e- e- echar and stuff like that, using the mm. wrong, not putting an H in or putting an H in there for fun.
3: Yes. B and
1: yeah. V. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I've seen a lot. Of, I, I think my favorite, though, is when I tell people my name. I've had to adapt it now because I used to say, me Harry. My name is Harry. J-A-R-I. It's like, no, no, no. Harry como Harry Potter. It's just the automatic now. It's like, I'm Harry, like Harry Potter. That's just my entrance now. Yeah. Um, I walk in with that. Now, we've Mm. still got 15 minutes. And something I love, and I know you love it as well, is poetry. Now, next week, we actually have a a poet coming on. He's a a former headmaster from the UK. His name's Dave Bowden, a.k.a. the word guerrilla or word gorilla, as we'd say in English. Um, and he's coming on and he uh, works with with writing for for mindfulness um uh-huh. you know so he uses it to to help him um like see his you know just you know get all his bad thoughts yep. out and focus on the good thoughts and you know i've been to one of his sessions before he's got another one tomorrow it's called a a detention session like uh-huh. detention and detention, tension yeah. um, So that's actually on tomorrow at nine. So I'll be going there along to that. Anybody who wants to join, it's on my Instagram page. Um, but you're also a poet, aren't you?
3: Well, yes, but I write in Spanish.
1: Still I, a poet.
3: Yeah, well, yes, <laughs> but I mean, uh, um, I people ask me if I write in Spanish or in English or in both because there are people who write in both languages. Uh, but... I I I write in Spanish. Uh, I haven't tried my hand at writing poems in English, although I very much uh, like to do it, but um, I feel that I am still a poet in the making. So I'd rather do it in my own language. And um, although I dream in English and I can switch from one language to the other, but when it comes to poetry, I feel more comfortable. Uh, writing in Spanish and yes I, I love poetry and I love reading poetry and and poetry from different parts of the world yeah yeah I think so there's, there's a lot out
4: there
1: yeah and I think there's there's quite a huge difference actually between Spanish and English poetry in yes. the fact that I mean obviously you know it comes from the heart you know it's, it's something yeah. that comes from within you um, so writing in something that isn't your first language would be difficult but particularly in the way the two languages sound now yes. that's so important in poetry. Now I'm not saying that everything has to have rhyming couplets in poetry. No, Obviously no, I, it doesn't. I,
3: don't, I don't write. I, I don't write using rhyme. I mean, I, I, it's free verse.
1: Exactly. But, uh, the
3: sound and rhythm of the of both languages is very different. Uh, it's it's so, so
1: so different. I mean,
3: yes.
1: Reading like reading Lorca,
3: i yeah, yes, it, it's mm-hmm.
1: lovely to read Lorca, But I've read some of his poems translated, and it's just it's just a bit wrong, to be honest. It's yeah. not, you know, the first time I did it, I, I read it because I wanted to make sure I knew what I was I was reading. But yes. it, it's just not the same. For me, it, that's no. a bit like watching Casa de Papel, or Money Heist, mm. as it's called in English, with, with it dubbed in English, you know, or, or any film, as they do here yeah. in Spain, as you know. Um, their obsession with dubbing films over. Oh. So... They'll take a, a, an English film and they'll dub it and everybody will watch it that way and be okay with it, which for me is the same as reading Lorca in English. It's like yeah. it, mm. you can't do that. You can't. Well,
3: actually, actually, uh, uh, translating literature is quite difficult and translating poetry, I think, is particularly difficult. Um, I once tried to translate my own poems uh, it was something that um, I have a, a friend in Argentina, Sergio Soler, he's a poet and a teacher of English. And uh, we, um, we planned to uh, translate our own poems to see how it feels. And uh, when I read the translations, I, I thought, no, uh, this is not right. I mean, uh, the rhythm changes. It's very difficult to translate poetry. Mm-hmm. Either you write it in English, uh, or you write it in spanish uh, that, that's what I feel i mean I admire the work of uh, translators of literary translators and particularly of people who translate poetry because it is such a difficult job such a difficult job
1: it's yeah. it's so difficult it's so yes. so difficult like you say um because yeah i've i've read quite a bit of poetry in Spanish and I've been there and I've sat there and I've I've translated it in my head at first so I can yeah. fully understand the meaning of it because I, I sometimes do that still um and yeah it doesn't come up right now the big thing for me when I came to Spain the big challenge I set myself was to read Quixote in Spanish oh. because you know it's a classic and I'd read it in English and I hadn't oh you have uh, yeah I, I
3: haven't, haven't been did... able
1: to go beyond page 10. Exactly. I didn't particularly enjoy it in English. I mean, I was forced to read it in English and I didn't particularly enjoy it. And I thought, what's all the fuss about? Like, why is this such a huge thing? Like, every school you go to, there's always a, a an exposition, uh, an exhibition um, yep. on um, on Quixote. And it's like, but why? Because it's rubbish. Like, I was really like, this is just a really long boring book and i read it in spanish and was like because i'd always wanted to um and that was i think maybe the third book i read in spanish i was like ah it isn't rubbish you know it's not
3: rubbish but i i i mean uh it's it i i haven't been able to go beyond page 10 the funny thing is i have read ulysses uh (laughs) twice uh the first time because I had to because it was uh, uh, on the syllabus of contemporary literature at a teacher training college and the second time because I wanted to enjoy it. And people, when I say that I read James Joyce's Ulysses twice, they look at me and say, what? <laughs> and you haven't been able to read the Quixote. You're mad. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but that's the way it is.
1: <laughs> yeah, and also yeah. that's the thing with, with books. Like some of them are to your liking, to your gusto, and others aren't. Of course, now, of course. My, my daughter is an avid reader. She loves reading. Um, and at first, like she was reading her books and you know, then she'd stop and start reading another one. She'd have five or six books on the go at once. And at first I was like, why don't you finish a book first? You know, why you? she was like, because I, I, I wasn't enjoying that book. So I thought I'd start another one. And eventually she'll go back to it. But there have been some books that she's got halfway through and just gone, I don't really enjoy it. And so I've said to, her, if you're not enjoying it, don't carry on reading it. What's the point right. in forcing? But you kind of get that feeling with a book like I need to finish this. I need to. I've started, so I need to finish it. If you don't like it, then you don't like it. Go and find the books that you do like.
3: Uh, uh, there was there was a time when I was just like that. I mean, I, I would finish a book no matter what. It was a matter of principle, possibly. Mm-hmm. Never leave a book unfinished. Uh, until one day, I came across um, a, a, a something that Borges said uh, about if precisely if you don't like a book, if the book hasn't caught your attention, hasn't trapped you, leave it. Why waste time that you can devote to another book that you will like? So exactly. I said, okay, I, I felt um, I, I, he had given me permission to abandon books that I didn't like
1: well so, the problem I find with if I if I get a book and I'm reading it and and it's not what I enjoy and I have to fight my way through it it will take me ages. you know two weeks <laughs> to read a book when it usually take yeah. me th- maybe three or four days and then after I finish reading that book it would take me longer to find another book to pick up because I just be like that book was horrible yeah you know, and if I if so from now on if I'm not you know, if it's not a page turner, if I'm not there at night thinking just one more page, then yeah. it's like, do you know what? If I'm not enjoying it, I won't read it. it yeah, I'll just mm. put it down, um, and I'll find a book that I do like. Um but yeah, that's just you know, that's me giving people permission if you don't like a book <laughs> to to put it down. Um unless it's the book that I'm I'm writing, in which case you have to read it from cover to cover and then buy it six times. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not released yet, but it is in in the making. Um, so yeah, uh, poetry and and reading are two of your enormous yes. passions. Something I know. Yes. Um, and we and, talked. And,
3: and and what I what I try to do is uh, well, I when I was teaching children and teenagers, particularly teenagers, I uh, always brought poetry to the classroom and pieces of literature. I remember reading Shakespeare, reading Macbeth with my students, with my 17-year-olds, and they loved it. And, uh, but it wasn't analysis, mm-hmm. it was enjoying it. And, uh, and, and I do a lot of teacher training using poetry and literature, uh, because I think that uh, it, it, poetry has to have a place in, in the language classroom. And not just for teaching language, but also for teaching values and and and, and teaching other things.
1: Exactly, one hundred percent. Now, for me as well, when it comes to um, when it comes to poetry and it, it comes to 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 literature and reading and and well, anything really, um, in that respect, getting students to read. When it comes to poetry, it doesn't have to be the classics that you go with, you know, it is nice for them to understand classics and read some classics. But like like I mentioned, the word guerrilla, he's a slam poet. His poetry is, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's almost like rapping, you know, and when you see him doing that in front of a group of like seven, eight, nine year olds, and you see them all there, just like just enthralled by the performance of this incredible poetry, you just think, you know, poetry is amazing and it is something that needs to be in the school
3: and um, benjamin zephaniah i'm totally intellectually in love with the man he's a fabulous poet and a fabulous performer Uh new alums he's another one he's great i just bought uh this one by a guy called theophilus quack um i i uh, I saw him when was it on Saturday um it was the um it, it, I, I came across this this uh, young man through Twitter. There was a poetry uh, a page I follow, a poetry page I follow on twitter from Brit- Britain. and it was him and two girls. They are all very young. And um, uh, he is uh, his family is Vietnamese or Korean, I don't remember. And the two other girls are um, half Chinese. And I found his poetry, he read a few poems, and I found his poetry fantastic. And he's young. And I said, OK, I have to read more. And so I bought the book, of course. <laughs> and, uh, and now I am uh, waiting for the post to bring the other books of the other two girls. And and I think that this is wonderful because I could see them reading their own poems. And, and I mean, they got me, you know, like, oh, I would love to go on listening to you. And this is not something that happens to me very frequently when poets read their own poetry because... Quite often, they are rubbish reading their own poetry. <laughs>
1: yeah.
3: And these three young people were wonderful. So uh, I, I think that there's a, there's a lot out there for young people to relate to poetry.
1: Absolutely. I mean, with when it comes to the word guerrilla, and and as I mentioned, yeah. Dave, um, he I'm going to his detention session tomorrow. Um, so hopefully from that I will have a poem of my own to bring. So in next week's show when I'm speaking to him, hopefully you'll hear me perform some poetry. Um, Good. You'll see if I'm rubbish at performing my own poetry. Now don't say you don't think I will be because now if I am then it'll be you know. But um, I've I've been practicing with uh, you know I do quite a lot of storytellings and stuff like that so I've actually got a storytelling at seven o'clock tonight. I'm doing. I, I can show you the book, but I can't show anyone else. It's uh the Smeds and the Smooths oh, by, by Julia Donaldson, lovely. and it's it's all about you know um, it's basically about Brexit. Um, it's uh-huh. about it's about loving everybody and accepting everybody, um, no matter who they are, no matter where they're from. Um, so I've got this with a group of um eight to ten year olds. So with Julia Donaldson, it is all rhyming couplets and and so on and so forth. So, I'll be practicing with that today. So hopefully next week I won't let you down. Good. Um, <laughs> but that is our time. We have run out now. We are we are at an end of the show. Um, somebody loves the smeds and the smooths, which is great news. Thank you, GM <laughs> Bream. Um, I absolutely love it as well. It is fantastic. It's been wonderful having you on, Annie. It's been great to finally actually speak to you and not only yeah. connect through Facebook, <laughs> Instagram, Twitter, and Twitter, um, and LinkedIn. <laughs> exactly. That's um, so. Yeah, it's lovely to, to to see you to speak to you. Um, I, I did drop you a mention in the little thing I wrote the other day. Um, so that will be that will be hopefully out soon. I don't want to say too much about it to spoil it, but it's been amazing. It's been a pleasure. Um, And I'm going to end the show now by saying don't forget to tune in next week for the word guerrilla. We're going to be talking poetry and mindfulness. And thanks again, Annie. You've been great.
3: Thank you, Harry, for having me on the show. And thank you, everyone, for listening.
1: Thanks very much, guys. Bye-bye.